Welcome to the Big 60 Sort Out, brought to you by the Big Beatles Sort Out. We spent three series sorting the Beatles, and now we're turning our attention to the competition, the context, the bigger picture. Who were they up against? What music influenced them? And will we hear the shockwaves of the Beatles' epic success as we sort all the UK number ones from the 1960s by ranking them for music, lyrics and production? Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the 60s. Welcome to Series 4, Episode 5. I'm Gary Abbott, author, musician and podcaster. And please welcome my popular music history expert brother, Paul Abbott. Hello, everyone. I still think it's weird being called an expert. I suppose I sort of am in some very specific fields due to studying and learning and stuff. But it's, but, it's, but, it's weird when someone calls you an expert. After however many hundreds of hours of <laughs> podcasting. I'm an expert in certain specific things. I will, I will allow it. I will allow it. I'm starting to feel like an expert, Paul, just by talking to you. So, you know. That's good. I think you, you can... By you osmosis. Can, anyone who's listening Internet to all of osmosis. this is probably an expert by now. Um, yeah, it's fine. Own it. Okay. Bro- own it, bro- own, it, brother. own it, brother. Yeah. brother. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Don't ever say that. Oh. No, um, no. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. I'm drinking a slightly stronger than I meant it to be gin and tonic during the course of this episode. Ooh. So by the time we get to the <laughs> fourth or fifth song or whatever it is, uh, probably won't be able to make any yeah. coherent sense at all. Oh, I think it's fun. breaking down already, to be honest. Oh, dear. Let's do the blurb then before it's too late. Please keep in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at big underscore sort or email us at bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And please like and subscribe and review our show on whatever platform you're listening on, please. And sharing. Sharing is really important. And sharing. We're getting, well, I was looking at sort of the the figures of of where we get in the little Apple charts, at least. And we're we're tending to do all right in the music commentary charts in the the UK and and get into the music charts a little bit. But it would be really nice if people could just uh, share the episode links when it, or tweets when it comes out. I know we're, Twitter's not nice. But uh, anything like that is, is really, really helpful. It's very we, helpful. Yeah. If you happen to be someone who listens and likes us and happens to be someone who may happen to have loads and loads of Twitter followers because you also happen to be a very popular person somewhere, please, a little share would be great. A like is wonderful. But uh, if you can share, even better. And a few words about it, whoa, then we're really rocking now, aren't we? You know, yeah. so yeah. But I we mean, do, everyone I do should like, do that. I do but, like is the fact that people are joining in and talking and we've got a yeah. sort of regular gang who like to sort of give us their feedback as well, including our uh, overseas correspondent, Dieter, yeah. giving us our, our yeah. German equivalents for the period, yes. which is great. Yeah. And uh, so hello to ever, all of them, everyone. And uh, yeah, anything you can do to help us get the message out there. It's still early days in this season, but it's a bit of yeah. a change and it'd be nice to get it out to as many people as, as would enjoy it. We're getting some lovely feedback from people, and yeah. I think the um, mum likes really, it. Mum likes it, so and that's everything's all fine. That matters. But, yeah, um, no, but the format with the um, sixty stuff, I think, I, I feel like the listening people who are listening are reflecting how we're feeling doing it, which is it is really interesting, and I'm looking forward to it every time. I was always looking forward to it because it's the Beatles, but. It, but, but you know this is discovery now there's more discovery involved in this for me and mm-hmm. a wider kind of stuff you wouldn't it's good sometimes to go where you wouldn't naturally isn't it filling in the gaps between the Beatles yes exactly exactly uh, I also want to say happy birthday to listener and very good friend of mine and yours Paul uh, Nick and happy for 
40th birthday. And this is going to be out weeks after it's actually happened. Weeks so this will be a nice afterwards. surprise when she's but, just about got over the shock. Yes. <laughs> well, but I'm just, we are recording on a birthday. So I'm doing it. Yes, a, indeed. Happy birthday, Nick. It's, it's a time travel birthday message. Um, right. Um, Paul, we are into... 1961 aren't we happy new year for 1961 happy new year listeners and because yeah we don't we did we, we, we done did we done did with nine, 1960 didn't we so <laughs> we did we are in the early stages so just so we talk you want to again as a set the scene for a, a january 1961 okay the beatles story between january to essentially the end of march 1961 this episode covers so uh-huh. basically when we left our heroes they're just got back from their first stint in Hamburg and done two or three gigs where they'd sort of exploded onto the Liverpool scene and the wider Liverpool scene, particularly North Liverpool, which is important. So this is a band who is now regularly performing on this dance hall circuit of places, of which there are loads in North Liverpool. When people think of Liverpool, they think of the centre of Liverpool and they think of the Beatles, they tend to think of the south of Liverpool. But the north of Liverpool was very, very important in their early part of the story, which is... Bootle, Litherland, Seaforth, all of those sorts of places, as well as a bunch of places over the water as well. Um, but this is a point where Paul's got a job. You yes. know, he's gone off and he's got a job at Massey and Coggins as a coil winder, um, which is electrical transformer yes. coil things, not just coils in general, not all coils. And, and a noble profession it is too. Indeed, indeed, but yes. It would have been a shame... Yeah. Now, I mean, in a way, that's kind of fine. Otherwise, other than being exhausting, because they're they're essentially now playing most nights a week. Yeah. But what also happens is they start getting bookings at the cavern, and a lunchtime. Mm-hmm. Which, if you're working a job, yeah, even if it's just outside of town, as Massey and Coggins was, not far at all as the crow flies, but not close enough that you can nip out, play a session, and get back. Yeah. Um. Yeah, th- things are happening. So anyway, they've got Alan Williams, who was kind of their manager, getting them out to Hamburg beforehand. But he's kind of being sort of frozen out a little bit, and they're sort of going to Pete and particularly Mona Best and Bob Wooler, the DJ. Yeah, they're getting them loads of of bookings, and Bob Wooler's really bigging them up. So like, if he's running a dance, DJing at a dance, he'll play the William Tell Overture before they come on the stage. You know, they're they're big enough now that they get their own intro music. Right, okay. That's how exciting they are. The William Tell Overture. And he goes, it's the Beatles! And they come out and hit Long Tall Sally or Good Golly Miss Molly or something. Ah, cool. Oh, imagine this. Imagine it. Yeah. <laughs> imagine. It would have been amazing. So I told you last time as well about Chaz Newby, who was their stand-in bass player, but Stu's come back at this point. Right. Chaz has uh, moved on. Stu come back, comes back from Hamburg for a bit on mid-January rejoins so you know there's this thing about him being a terrible bass player yeah you know he's not a great bass player but obviously he was in hamburg as well he served his apprenticeship yes so he's he's good enough to rejoin this band because if they were doing really really well with other people they wouldn't they wouldn't wouldn't have him back in no matter how important he was to the to the group they would have found maybe i mean this is my sort of feeling about it you know they wouldn't have john certainly wouldn't have frozen him out but maybe he would have taken on a different role wasn't there some recordings that we talked about in one in series two, f- from in Hamburg, where actually you could hear that he, got, he you know, he could he could string a bass line together even if it wasn't. Is there well, there's like there's that? a couple of bits and bobs where you can get you can hear a little bit of stew, 
yeah. nothing Hamburgy particularly, but there, no. yeah, you know, it's. I think what people think of as a bad bass player, he couldn't play basses. It's not like he was just hitting, going da 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 da, just hitting, <laughs> yeah. hitting the strings like with no relevance to anything else. You can play <laughs> yeah. loads of stuff with just the open strings in rock and roll, for heaven's sake. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but he's back. Uh, they take him back in, of course. He's a Beatle. There's also the Hurricanes. They've come back from Hamburg, and they're doing a load of these gigs with the Beatles as well. So Ringo's going out each night and seeing this band play, yeah. and they're seeing him play again as they had been in Hamburg. And it's But these venues are rough. You know, teenage dances are rough, and there's loads mm. of fights, and people hate the Beatles. They love them, like as a musical act, but they are, because they're sort of, and do forgive me for an early swear, arseholes <laughs> on right. stage, and John particularly, with this sort of cheeky wink that he does. Mm. Um, they keep getting into fights all the time. They're always running for their lives here. And this is, mm. uh, while I'm joking sort of in a silly way, uh, it's horrible because this is, you know, probably where Stu gets the beating yes. that is either causes or exacerbates the problem he has in his brain that ultimately yeah. kills him. You know, that and the fact that he refuses to have any treatment or examination after it happens. Yeah. Which probably happened in Latham Hall in Seaforth in North Liverpool. But other than that, 9th of February, their first appearance at the Cavern. Um, the Quarrymen had played there a few years before and gone down like a lead balloon, but they've started having these rock sessions at lunch times. And like I say, he's got a job. And so mm-hmm. it gets to a couple of weeks in of him bunking off for too many hours during his lunchtime where John basically rings him up and says, are you in the band or not? Yeah. And Paul's like, whoop, over the fence. I have left. Okay. I'm done. He's in the band. Good, good. And also we've good got... Phew, I thought you were going to say he didn't. He didn't, no, yeah. All it's, this uh, is a lie. <laughs> and that was it. That was the end of the Beatles. Uh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. No. Uh, Astrid's over in Liverpool as well, and she's still affecting how he dresses and how he looks, which, of mm-hmm. course, the knock-on effect is that affects how the Beatles are going to look. Not quite yet, but this is sort of the period where... Where uh, Stu starts to have his hair combed forward, stuff like that mm. as well. And the other thing that they're doing, as we reach the end of this little period, January to March 1961, is they know they want to go back to Hamburg, to a different club, the better mm. club. They've got to sort out all that legal stuff that came off the back of them getting kicked out last time. One of the problems is easily solved. George turns 18 years old. Yeah. Yeah, on 25th of February. And they get all their paperwork sorted out, visas. They play a final show at the Casbar on the 26th of March and they're ready to go back to Hamburg. And that's where we leave it for this episode. Right. See, it's, these are really... This is... this is We're basically just giving them the, the blueprint of the Netflix special that I want them to make. <laughs> anyway, you're just... There's a perfect little kind of... Well, this is very broad strokes, obviously. Yeah, you but can, you can drill down to me like, like Mark Lewison. But... Seems to be like three three month periods seem to work yes, quite well. Yes, yeah. episodes. Yes, yeah. two to three month episodes seem to kind of. But that sounds about the right amount that we could to put into an episode. Anyway, great stuff then. So, as always, when they were um, when they were hanging around when, in the jacaranda or yeah. Blue Angel, what were they putting on the jukebox? Probably when none Paul of the, was... Probably none of these. <laughs> Yeah, when Paul was running away from his factory and in the background, the radio was playing. Yeah. What was he running away to? Could Pro- it possibly again, probably have been? none of these. <laughs> yeah, probably none of these. But could it have been? No. But if it was, could it have been the first song we're going to listen to, Paul? Which is Johnny Tillotson, Poetry in Motion. Poetry in motion. 
Paul. Pottery emulsion. You've Pottery lived in Staffordshire emulsion. too long. <laughs> Poetry in motion. I think this is quite a famous song. Certainly, the phrase is very, very well known. Yeah. Um. Um. But Johnny Tillotson is probably not particularly well known. He certainly is. His reputation hasn't lingered. He's certainly nowhere near on the level of people like Elvis. But yeah. I'd say this is a fairly well known song. Good thing about Johnny Tillotson still alive. Oh, Still with us, 85 old. years old. Ah. Um, facts and figures about this song, then. It gets to number one on the 12th of January, 1961. Spends two weeks at the top. Um, it was reissued in 1979 and got to number 67. So, well, obviously, well thought of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, written by Mike Anthony and Paul Kaufman. The B-side is a song called Princess, Princess. A pretty okay. sort of... Yes, Princess, Princess. Uh, right. In case you didn't hear me the first time, Princess, 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 Princess. Are you calling me Princess? Princess. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Well, like Princess. Uh, it's a sort of very, that's a very 50s style pop rocker sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's out on the London record label over here. Yeah, it, it was a hit in America. It's a number two over there in uh, 1960, I think. Uh, produced by Archie Blair, but engineered by good old Bill Porter. Name we were going on about quite a lot last episode, yeah, and we'll hear a lot more about. Right. And like I say, yeah, good song. I, I'll get through the uh, Beatles links that I could find, which is basically none. Yeah. Okay, that's that. Except that he he tours over in the UK with Del Shannon, and apparently, so Del Shannon's got a very good Beatles link. I mean, we're going to come to Del Shannon later on. But yeah, yeah, we'll do that when we get to Del Shannon. Well, yeah, but let me tell it here. Otherwise, I can't do one for Johnny Tillotson. Oh, okay. I'll find another one for Del Shannon. There's loads. Um, Del Shannon was the first person to have a hit with a Lennon McCartney song in America because he does a cover version of From Me To You before before Capital has sorted itself out and got their records yeah. to be hits over there. So he... I mean, it only, it only gets to like number seventy-seven or something, but it's a hit. You know, that's it's technically top yeah. top one hundred hit with his cover of "From Me to You." But according to Johnny Tillotson, when they were in the UK, they did a verse. They recorded a version of "From Me to You," where mm. Johnny Tillotson and Dusty Springfield sang backing vocals. Right. Um, and sorry, and Del Shannon sang the lead. Sang, sang the lead, and no. obviously Shannon has the hit in America. But I I don't know what that is and or what. Tillotson's memories are because yeah. that's clearly not the one that was issued in America as Del Shannon's single. But maybe it was just like they he roped them in to get in there and do a demo or something so he didn't forget it or yeah. something, you know, something mad mm. like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's basically a, a, something I could find. He's a sort of, he's a, uh, he's from Jacksonville in Florida, Johnny Tillotson. Comes yeah. through the country pop scene as so many of the American performers we're talking about do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he performs from a very early age. He, he to the, he's successful enough at young age years. Like a, he gets to a point where he has his own local television show in Jacksonville. Okay. He then does what many of them do: heads to Nashville, the heart of Southern American recording and music. Plays the Grand Old Opry. Gets onto New York eventually, and he's a songwriter as well. 
although he didn't write this, which is his biggest hit. So, All right. there you go. There we go. Well, good old Johnny Tillerson. I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about him. I didn't know the name, didn't know anything. I knew the song, yeah, or at least I thought I did. As always, I knew the main bit. Snippets, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm finding that emotion. as well. Yeah. Deep, 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 deep. Who knows how the rest of the song goes? We just know this bit, B, um, which is which is quite understandable because that is the hook and it's probably the bit that got faded up in between the scenes on heartbeat or whatever it would have been on or used <laughs> yeah, on yeah, yeah. it's that very much it's very much the kind of song that would have got used on heartbeat isn't it um you should tell yeah, people po- what heartbeat was though oh yeah heartbeat was <laughs> it's a, 2024 <laughs> yeah so actually i need to tell people not just from different countries but of different ages as well don't yeah. I? anyone who's too who's younger it's i don't a, it think was that's a, a problem pl- with that it was a, a police drama police procedural drama <laughs> police drama set in yorkshire it was set in yorkshire wasn't it yeah it was, it was set yeah in it, was, yorkshire, it wasn't yeah. far from where we grew up um gothland yeah. places like that set in the 60s set in the 60s and so it was a wash local with, bobby yeah yeah a wash with sort of music of the this, period anyway yeah and it was on sunday nights like forever it was back when the, that was what was on sunday night whether you liked it or not um Anyway, yeah, the poetry emotion hook. Um, yeah, it's this is the kind of niche we get to a chorus in this, really. In fact, it, it's one of those. It's something to grab onto anyway. Um, but I've, as usual, I never really sat down to listen to it in detail. Um, and now I have. I want to draw particular attention mm-hmm. to the mad female vocal backing. Oh yeah, st- yeah. Solo that breaks out in the whoa whoa because we haven't really got a chorus, but we do have the whoa 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 bit. And then there's like a. It sounds like a sampled, you know, like a sampler. Well, like do you know what it sounds like to me? I wrote down, it yeah. sounds like they wanted a theremin solo or something. Yeah. But they just got a really good backing singer. I'm sure it's a singer, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. It definitely is. It's yeah. a female, female backing vocal uh, group. And then at one point they have a sort of a breakout counter melody thing. Yeah. Which is really nice. <laughs> it <laughs> re- is really nice. It's really good. It's a sort of, yeah, this sort of counter melody. That thing you're saying about it not having a chorus is interesting because it definitely has a repeated phrase, a refrain. But I it tend to think a of a chorus as being a bit more, having a bit more impact. You know, something happens musically, yeah. whereas this doesn't change at all. The thing with this song is I love I love songs that go like that, which this yeah. song does, but it just does that. Yeah, <laughs> it tends to just change. do that all the way. Yeah, but it but the the thing it does have going for it is the really fast and mad melody female bit, and it's very good. It plays off the sax, and they do they do the um, it is a sax, isn't it? That's in this, and yeah, yeah, Boots Randolph. It, bless you. <laughs> um, but they they do the. The, the impossible thing of making a sax good. I like the sax in this. I like the saxophone sound in this as well. It's yeah. I think it's nice. But again, it's we know that this is a good studio because this is a studio where tons of hits have been recorded. It's been engineered yeah. by Bill Porter. We know he can record stuff really, really well. Um, and I am being a bit unfair about the drums. It doesn't do through all the way through. It does have a, a change in rhythms. But yeah. um, it's just sort of it's it's classic Nashville pop rock stuff it's um mm. they can just churn this stuff out amazingly effectively because the people they got playing on it like boots randolph on sax like floyd kramer another name that keeps popping up on piano uh floyd lightning chance on bass three people like that these are absolutely you know they're doing sessions like this all the time 
Yeah. And they're playing live with these artists as well a lot of the time. Okay. So they are practiced in all these different styles, country, rock, pop, all these things as well, as it all merges and mingles here in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, which now, because Nashville now is a byword for country, just country, pure country. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. It was very, very important in this emergence. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I I think not just the way the sax is recorded, which is obviously good, but just the, the actual performance is good. Yeah, performance of it, the way it's being used, it's kind of it kind of does the job of what the bass often does. It does the passing notes, kind of it does the, those going up between the chords. Uh, and we have I like the bridges where everything's kind of falling in with the snare roll hit, and even the backing vocals are going ding 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 ding. You know they're all going they they all there's like a little um little snare roll and they're all the singing the snare roll if you know what i mean it's kind of cool um and there's a piano just hammering all the way through to give it that 50s kind of early 60s kind of a sound yeah and when the female vocals aren't going off in a mad solo they're just really sweetening the whole thing i like it um it's a good arrangement i yeah, think yeah i, like I think this, i think the arrangement is what the arrangement and the energy in it is what sells it as a hit yes yeah it's it's it, Sax brings that bit of mad energy, which is why I always find it. It's a bit like, oh, it's got a weird mad energy to have in this song. I guess that, this is just bring, kind of bringing that a bit. Uh, yeah, 55, I've given it for music. I think it's a good one. What I didn't do was see if I could find um, uh, a couple of the other versions. So, so many of these songs that come out, mm. come out with several people doing different versions of them. So in the UK, there was Johnny Lee on Fontana and Richard Allen on Parlophone, both put out versions of this, but this was the hit, the import version. So what would have happened is they would have known Parlophone and Fontana that, that London were going to bring in this and release it and they would have seen it as a hit the year before in America. Mm. And they'd be like, right, come on, who's going to win? Get our versions out. And then it turns out the original wins. Yeah, weird. That's strange. So let's go on to production then. Um, I think it does a really good job of balancing everything out that's going on at pace. Um, I love, like, talking about the sax. You can really hear the reed in the intro. Yeah. Very natural-sounding sax. They haven't shied away from kind of... It kind of feels like it's almost mic'd, kind of... Um, very closely mic'd, kind of almost towards where they're blowing into it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Kind of, um, it's very natural-sounding. And I say that female vox breakout, whether they meant it to or not, it's just the performance they got out of that person. It sounds... Well, on the really... um, mixes that you can generally hear now on streaming services and the like... It's in stereo, and yeah. one of the th advantages in that sense is that the female backing vocals are put off into this on the right hand side of the stereo and sort of back a little bit, so they are sort mm. of stood on their own, so they come across quite clearly. They're not totally yeah. just lost in the general wash of reverb. So it may pick up points retrospectively for something maybe you wouldn't have heard at the time because I liked the separation, I liked it being in stereo. Um, it it can all be a bit trebly here and there, but it has some nice features um and uh, and yeah the, the the female vocals cool and they made me like sax so I, i've actually given it 63 for production i think yeah. it's it's a good sounding record so i mentioned archie blair is credited as, as producer but he would have been like uh many of the names we talk about you know he would have been the a r side of the production as much mm -hmm. as anything whereas bill porter was the engineer that ran the session archie blair was the guy basically who ran the record label that uh, johnny tillotson was on in america Ah, good stuff. Should we go on to lyrics? Yes, let's go on to lyrics. So lyrics. So, I mean, 
they're all right, but considering it has the word poetry in it, you would have maybe hoped for a little bit more. Poetry. I mean, it's some of the worst pop poetry that there's ever been. Yeah, because really. it's like, it's, yeah, poetry in motion. You'd think, oh, we 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 can either write such a poetic lyric that it will be like it becomes a self-describing thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we can just ignore it altogether. Because I mean, at one point they do rhyme the word motion with locomotion. <laughs> Yeah, yes. Which is which is like, well, no, you, that's just the same word, really. It's a bit of a cheat, uh, although technically not. Um, and the the, uh, the line inversion that we're always fight, we you know, we we don't, we we're not fond of the no number nine love potion, no number nine love potion. <laughs> I, I'm I, that's my favourite bit in it. I must say because that's a reference to another song. Yeah, well, to love it, potion number nine, which was a hit in 1959 for the Clovers. Is that the same Love Potion number nine as Cream would go on to do a version of? Cream did a version of Love Cream. Potion number Hang nine. Hang on, no, I, I'm getting mixed up with Strange Brew. Um, Love Potion number nine. Who did Love Potion number nine? The Clovers. But did someone else do a... I'm sure it's been did, covered. Did the Blues Brothers do a cover of it or something? Who do I know who's done a cover of Love Potion number nine? Um, I don't know off the top of my head, Gary, because I, I don't own your brain. Why Love Potion number nine? Is that is that just from that song? As far it's as not, I know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I didn't go off. I, now, one, I mentioned this on, on Twitter. Potion. I do end up going down some rabbit holes when I'm researching yeah. things. And I did briefly think when I was checking out Love Potion number nine because of this reference in this song, whether they got Love Potion number nine from something else. But then I'd have been exactly, so yeah. far away from what I'd started out researching. I, I'm interested in it. I would let any of listening. To, yeah, yeah. If we don't do it ourselves, go on Twitter and tell us where, if if it's just a throwaway line that's now been adopted, or whether there is another eight love potions and we're all... I mean, the <laughs> searchers did a hit, had a hit with it in the UK. Oh, well, yeah. a, a worldwide hit with it, in fact, uh, a few years later, well, a couple of years later. Hmm. But um, I'm just having a look, see if I can find any later version as well. I mean, I don't think you were listening to the Tigers of Pantang version. Maybe um, not. No, no so not. May, I don't never know. mind. I don't know. I might. I, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, let's let's not worry about it. Um, yes, this it it kind of really moves away from the poetry side of things and much more the the motion bit. It's more about the motion bit. Yeah, than yeah, it is the poetry, yeah. isn't it? It's literally about how she moves and sways. It kind of works, and it definitely passes the listen test. You know, it doesn't draw attention to itself until you sit down and look at the words. Yeah. But it's, it's not I, a clearly I'm not, drawn. I'm not a ki- I'm 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 not a big fan of. Uh, there's nothing I would change. She doesn't need improvement. She's much too nice to rearrange, which is like the <laughs> worst compliment. Yeah, it's like you're, saying you're. Yeah, you know you're all right. Sure, <laughs> like, oh, I, I okay, thanks. I wouldn't rearrange your body even if I could. You know, if only you your elbows were higher. <laughs> Um, anyway, I've just given it 40 for lyrics, so it gets 53 overall. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's all right. I can see why it got to number one briefly for however long it did. Let's yeah, see I, will, about... I will say we're not going to hear any more from Johnny Tillotson. All right, bye, Johnny Tillotson. Okay. Bye. Let's see if we'll hear any more from the next chap. Are you lonesome tonight? Elvis Presley. Another stage is bare. And I'm standing there with emptiness all around. And if he won't come back to me, then they can bring the curtain down. 
Is your heart filled with pain? Shall I come back again? Tell me, dear, are you lonesome tonight? Are you lonesome tonight, Paul? Not while I've got you here, Gary, keeping me company over oh. the airwaves. Well, that's nice yeah. to know. Well then, go on oh, then. Who's okay. this Elvis Presley chap? We don't need to do him all again, do we? No, no. Um, right, let me do the facts about the single. Are You Lonesome mm-hmm. Tonight was number one, became number one on the 26th of January 1961. It's four weeks at number one. Production, as usual, by Steve Scholes with Chet Atkins. Engineered by Bill Porter. Oh gosh, he gets everywhere, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, the B-side is a song called I Gotta Know, which I really like, but it's like Elvis, but he's like they've turned the energy down about 70 to about 75%. Something that if right. he'd have done it before he'd gone in the army, would have been a really good rocker. Yeah. Um, but is now yeah. sort of slightly, feels a bit by the numbers for me. It's all right. You know, it's just not bad. Uh, it's on RCA. It's obviously a number one in America as well. It's a, another huge hit from Elvis, this one. I mean, nowhere near as... No, no, nowhere. Nowhere, nowhere. As nowhere what? near as huge as It's Now or Never. Hmm. But it is another song from a different, sort, about, of, different sort of source. Two, it's only about two months later, though, isn't it? I mean, I know, yeah. I mean, this is it. it <laughs> you, there's, it's all part of the Colonel's strategy, this stuff. You know, it's yeah. between what RCA are asking for and what the Colonel's thinking about is basically, you know, you just keep product going. And this is happening while he's also then pivoting Elvis into film, but also not making, not doing what Elvis wants, which is, can I do some serious films? He's basically going, yeah, yeah, you can do a couple of serious films. And now loads of stuff about being on the beach and mm. stuff. Um, yeah, this is written by Lou Handman and Roy Turk in 1926. Right. So this has been around a long time. It's an American song, so the, you know. Yeah didn't have to go off and get a load of new lyrics written for it translated or anything like that but this is also the only song apparently that the colonel ever asked elvis to record so it's like the first so when he first gets together with colonel tom parker he says the only he suggests he does are you lonesome tonight because his wife likes it right as well um but otherwise he didn't sort of specify to this level of detail yeah, songs that Elvis would do. I think he vetoed things, but it, um, but this is only this one he specifically. This is his little favour for him. Just do me this, will you? Do us this. And it turns out to be all right. Okay. Yeah, I mean Beatles links for this. I mean without Elvis, dot dot dot. But this, like we say, this comes out. It gets to number one on the twenty sixth of January. It comes out on the thirteenth of January, and on the fourteenth of January, nineteen sixty one, the Beatles play it at their gig in Aintree, right. North Liverpool again. So Paul does his full Elvis bit. But of course, this sort of song, they've learned yeah. it. They've gone to the effort of learning it. This little sort of thing to give Paul another spotlight moment as Elvis. Yeah. And he's doing it, but he he goes to do the spoken word bit in it. Oh, gosh. And of course, yeah. the rest of the band just break up completely <laughs> and just s- spend the entire set ripping Paul to shreds while he tries to get through it. <laughs> which is just such a must be such a baffling thing to do so Paul's soldiering on all the world's mm-hmm. a stage um, and they're still playing but they're also taking the mickey out of him to the like 
<laughs> because it's a I way of it's clearly that. for John it's a way of offsetting the idea of it being a bit soft yeah yeah it's um, well yeah they're, they're doing it cheekily aren't they they're not, you know. yeah yeah it would have been a weird thing to see um, yeah. But it just shows to show you the turnaround. Comes out on the 13th. They're doing it the next night on the 14th. Yeah. Wow. Nuts. That's mad. Seeing as they couldn't just sit there pressing play or something back on a stream or on a... Unless they've yeah, they'd, have gone off, got, they'd have gone and got, got the, the record. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just of course they could. So they could, have, they could have sat there pressing play, but with their needle. Um, yeah. So uh, we, we, we've got a, got a mum spot here because um, we've got a bit of a... Bit of a history with Lonesome tonight. Mum has. Let's oh, let's, are we having a little sideways step here? Yeah, let's have a little, little, little uh, listen to Mum's relationship to this song. Okay. So, Elvis Presley, are you Lonesome tonight? Yes. What I want to ask is the well-known comedy version that I know you've sang. Yes. On holidays in hotel rooms. In hotels. <laughs> hotel lobbies. In hotels. No. Yeah. In hotels. With. Yeah. Where does that come from? It came from um, when your dad and I got married, mm. he had an uncle who was part of a, like a Cockney uh, Chas and Dave. Right. And at our wedding, yeah. they sang that song, that version Are, you of... Lo- of Are You Lonesome Tonight? Yeah. And then they gave the words to your dad yeah. and they used to sing it. It's all like, I haven't done, followed the, the rabbit hole on the internet, but it is on the internet. Yeah. So it yeah. must originate somewhere. Yeah, but this before was then, back that's in... how you came. That's how it came to you yeah. via. In seventy one, when. Who, who was it? Sorry, dad. Who had a ch- dad's uncle? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it Chaz and Dave style? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah. um, and they sang Uncle Chich- Bob. Uncle Bob. There, Bob. there was Bob and. Oh, what there was? I can't remember the other one. But they they were just like Chaz and Dave, you know. And piano they sang they sang cheeky that. kind of songs and yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and sang and that at our wedding, sing along stuff. And then well, there's, and then there's a I, new I think your dad did it with tripe. Yeah, I think it Didn't was written down in his book of kind yeah. of lyrics that he had. Yeah, for his folk book that we, we used yeah. to be around. But and then I learned it in French. It must come from. I'll I'll have to et see. I'll see if Paul knows. Oh, you learned yeah. it in French. Yeah. Do you know it in French? Can you remember? Don't yeah. have to sing it. Just the no. Word. I just et Bruxelles ce soir, votre soutien gorgeau et cosseré, votre corset par à la dérive. And we sang it for the French when we did an exchange. Yes, so, yeah. Mm. I don't suppose, you know, even the Beatles sang it in French in a hotel. Probably not. (laughs) Well, you never know. (laughs) They may have done. We can't say for definite that they didn't. No, but, um, but, you know, mum did. Um and also yeah that strange kind of history of its provenance of because it's not like the, the naughty version of this is unique to our family it's no, if you no. put it on the internet it's all over the place so there must it must originate somewhere beyond our great uncle Bob <laughs> yeah presumably so, uh, well yeah so just before we get into the actual song as we're doing it for Elvis. I've always remembered this because of a slightly rude version or a silly or a bit cheeky version because mm. that's what happens when you have parents in a folk club and a folk group and someone with a silly sense of humour like our dad and and so forth. 
Yeah. Um, so there's this, I remember, and a song called Side by Side, which people might know the silly version of that as well. Um, and I can't think of this song without thinking, No bloody wonder you're lonesome, you're lonesome tonight. tonight. As the, yeah, as the yeah. final line of it. As the big punchline, yeah. Uh, um, as far as I can see in re the parody lyrics, yeah. Um, it was apparently popular with the WAF, uh, the Women's Auxiliary Air Force, in World War Two, and okay. and and the Women's Land Army as well. So, because this song had been around a long time and it was already a hit, two or three times over, mm. it was very well known. And clearly, it was um, that was the only real reference I could find was like right. women women working during the war had adopted Singing this a, as the as a, as the you know parody a, right which is so fascinating so maybe it's come through the forces and and that's come what, through that, a, a oral and, tradition then hasn't it yeah totally yeah oh interesting interesting okay well i just wanted to get that bit yeah, just wanted to, 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 to talk about that bit. Let's no listen to... Uh, well, let's not listen to it. We've all listened to it. Let's talk about the music, shall we, then? I mean, you're saying about uh, the one, the B-side being slow, but blind, I didn't quite realise how slow this, this is actually is when you actually sit and listen to it again. It's, um, it, is a, it is a plodder. Yeah. But um, I love the close backing on it. Now, am the I Jordan right Ayers, yeah. That's, I was just going to say, what they called again, sorry. I'm, the Jordanaires. The Jordanaires. They are so his, many of his records. Yes. I mean, they are They are doing a lovely job of it, aren't They're brilliant, they? the Jordanaires. I mean, the, yeah. uh, another Beatles link. They even did some backing vocals on Ringo's uh, Buku Blues album, or Boku of Blues album in uh, 1970. Well, there we go. Good stuff. Um, and there's a nice kind of... Three, four, kind of lilt on the guitar with little else really. Then is it? Isn't yeah, it's just a bit of it? bass. Yeah, going it's not on much well. going. There's a bass, and it's literally just playing the first note of the bar, isn't it? It, and then there's just a slight tap on the snare, just just there. It really, is just that's it. It's it doesn't ve- get big or anything, does it? It's a weird one, this right, because it's clearly a very, very powerful and popular song because it's proven that it is over and over again, over the years. And yet, actually, mm. in Elvis's version, you get a bit of him singing absolutely beautifully. Yeah, yeah. You know, no doubt, and a tiny bit at the end. But it's you're very short-changed for Elvis on this, because I don't think anyone's buying the record and thinking, "God, I hope he does some spoken word I, recitation." I hope he talks. Yeah, I hope he has a. <laughs> you know what? I'd love to hear. I'd him love to hear him being disappointed about our relationship up close on speakers. Yeah. Um, it's it's weird but if i've I've got the sheet music the original sheet music or, or a very early issue of the sheet music in front hmm. of me the dancer's favorite waltz melody are you lonesome tonight um featured by jack lumsdane the australian whispering baritone well, i think i'm gonna do a song for you now called uh, are you lonesome tonight i'm gonna do it in a uh, middle low voice i couldn't find his version his version doesn't seem to exist online in digital format at all Okay. So presumably it wasn't recorded. He was probably a stage star with a hit of that. Mm. But what happens is like like many songs that exist in definitive recorded versions, like Elvis's one, it misses off like two verses that have a totally different melody at the start. Okay. Like the way White Christmas never includes the bit at the beginning about it being sunny. <laughs> you know, that right. actually exists in the music. T- tonight I'm downhearted for though we have parted I love you and I always will 
and while I'm so lonely, I'm writing you only to see if you care for me still. And that's got a different tune, and then it goes into the bit we know. And wow. there's, an, there's another verse, and then there's a bit in the sheet music that says recitation, and that's where this stuff is. This, well, this. are you lonesome tonight? Yeah, I know, yeah. It's basically the equivalent of 90s pop songs where there's a rap bit in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the, the this is Elvis rapping, basically, in the yeah. early 60s. Oh, I listened the... to so many versions of this while I was researching this episode. Did you? Oh, God. Um, yeah, Vaughan DeLeith. Uh, had a hit with it. Henry Burr, Blue, the Blue Baron Orchestra. Um, Al Jolson, very famous version of it, which is the one that's closest to Elvis, really, I think. Mm. And then a bunch of other people had hits with it as well. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a funny one. I, what, you've just got to say, I mean, I know I've gone totally off us talking about the music here again. You've gone down a. You've gone. Well, down this is a, what I was saying about rabbit holes. Rabbit hole. Yeah. I found an episode, an episode, an issue of Disc Magazine, which is British, from the fourteenth of January, nineteen sixty-one. Pres- Presley Disc breaks all-time record. Orders now nearly four hundred thousand. By Monday of this week, advance orders for "Are You Lonesome Tonight," which is due for release tomorrow, had reached the incredible figure of three hundred ninety thousand, and the demand was still growing. Um, this makes it virtually certain the disc will repeat the performance of its now or never and enter our top 20 at number one. It's, yeah, mm. it's it's insane it's, that it gets a cover feature about the, um, about how much it's sold. It's, uh, but also I notice uh, a week ending January the 14th, 14th, 13th, 12th. I don't think the dates add up from what I said before, so don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Put it out of your mind. Okay. But also I found something from Billboard magazine in 1927. Right. Caught with a little section called Many Hit Songs Are Buried. Publishers' safes harbour many songs that would be big hits if they were ever released. The publishers thought they were hit numbers when they accepted them, but later they grew cold and forgot all about them. The other day, a story came out that Are You Lonesome Tonight was buried in the publisher's safe for nine months before a new executive happened to stumble over it and talked it into print. How insane is that? It yeah. could have just sat in a safe and eventually ended up in a skip, <laughs> you know. I wonder how many did, how many Lonesome Tonight's got yeah. tipped. N- not that I need many more Lonesome Tonight's. No, well, Because like it. I say, I feel short-changed. But he's covering a song that's 35 years old in 1961. It's like if me and you decided to record a song from 1989. To put it, to <laughs> yeah, put it into context. Yeah, that doesn't sound, doesn't sound that mad, really. Does no, it? like it's just like if we did a cover version of Eternal Flame by the Bangles or Back to Life by Soul to Soul keep them going um i i was gonna write a big long list but i thought those two um, were 89 89, uh, 89 turtle power turtle, maybe maybe no i might have been off that might be a year or two off anyway anyway paul i've got to dig you out of this hole um as <sighs> i say um his singing is great obviously when he sings um still think roy Orbison's better um but uh elvis runs a very close second to kind of legendary of legendary voices uh i'm giving you it just 57. don't get it just don't get enough of him on it the the no. thing that makes it really good, I think, is the Jordanaires. But even they, during their recitation section, go out of tune. Do they? Oh, and I, I but so. I, I, there's a, possibly a reason for that, and I'll tell you that in a second. Well, I've, I've given it 57 for music. It's lovely melody, and it's delivered proficiently where he is singing it. Uh, it's a simple backing, but um, though, so it doesn't reach extraordinary heights. But it, you know, it's what it is. So 57, I've given that one. On the production, then. Um, so I'm going to contradict myself here in the production that I think actually the choice of it being a simple backing makes it 
work very well. Yes. From a production point of view, if not from a kind of musical score. But look, you know, I'll never mark a gentle but catchy crooner ballad that highly unless there are bells and whistles or, or it touches me personally. But I can appreciate this for what it is for a lot of other people. And a simple guitar backing and a powered back kind of rhythm section gives all the voices the space they need. Um, I'm not sure about the spoken verse. It's a, it's a gimmick. Oh, it I lasts guess it, forever. It goes on and on. It's a gimmick, but it, and it really ramps up the cheesiness of it all, doesn't it? And Such a laboured thing as well. It's like you, you were playing a part and I was doing this and other things to do with being in the theatre. And then you were a curtain and then I was a light and you were a stage and you were a trapdoor and... <laughs> It just could, it could spin it out forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it it basically says, look, after this and now or never, like we we've talked about, he's definitely saying, rock and roll Elvis has left the building. You know, this is yeah. This is what you get. This, this is, is what you're getting now. You're getting like layers of kind of like cheese, and it's going to sell to all age groups, I imagine. But mm. like you know, your edginess is is gone. Um, is it my imagination? Can we hear the stop? Uh, can we hear the tape machine being stopped at the end? Um, right at the end of the song, it sounds like a good old. Like you can hear someone's pressed play and record, and at the end you can hear them pressing stop. Yeah, um, you, can, you can probably hear something, and I'll explain why. Go on then. So they get to this point. This is the session that they did. It's now or never, and a bunch of other stuff in. You know, they a very very productive session. Hmm. Um, this part of the recording is done between 4am and 7am of the session, which is a nuts time to be recording in a room (laughs) with no windows, presumably. Right. Because you don't put windows in studios. But Elvis basically says, can we, can we have all the studio lights down? Like that, that's how he says it. Can we have the studio lights down? And uh, no one who was involved in the song was in the studio. It was just the, you know, the, the small musical group and the Jordanaires. I like to think at that point there's a little man going, are they they only really go on or off? <laughs> well, I think the thing is they went off. So nobody yeah. could see what the hell they were doing. <laughs> which means that in the in the middle of it, like the Jordanaires start bumping into their microphones because they can't see them in front of them. <laughs> right. Okay. Which is, I think, what catches them out and causes them to go a little wavery in one little brief moment and you can actually hear a microphone knock. Oh, so it might be a sound at the end. like that at the end as well. So Elvis starts doing this. He starts. It might be the light switch. Stay the lights on, will ya? Um, <laughs> but Elvis doesn't feel like he's getting it when he starts this song. They do a take and, and it basically says to Steve Scholes up in the control room, can you get rid of it? And Steve's like, no, do you, we'll just try and get a full version sorted please Elvis and he's like oh alright does it and that becomes the hit but right. again apparently it's um, it's spliced from a couple of different spliced. takes yeah. they, they love doing that to Elvis that sounds like yeah. oh, you're just going to use the one yeah. Yeah. you're not going to get those scissors no you're not going to get the scissors just see, see you later see yeah, you. Yeah. snip 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 oh there's the scissors again um, yeah just one take Elvis well, that's yeah, but that's it. Loads of the stories say, oh, he, oh, he insisted on getting it through in a full take for this song or that song or the other. And it's like, yeah, well, he did. He did several takes where he got all the way through. But they just stuck a couple of them well, they together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they don't punch in and out like you know. Um, okay, well, I I've given it fifty five for production just to cut that one. 
to go. There's, I don't know if there's anything else to say. Do you want? Um, no, nope, I've got now. Yeah. So um, lyrics. Then I mean, we've just talked about the uh, the um, spoken word verse. I mean, they're pretty good when you read them off the page. I, I think as for for a big old cheesy romance, I like the um, imagery of an empty world, wishing that she is, w- wishing that she's wishing that he was still there. When really he knows it's him wishing for her, and she was the one who walked away. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Have I got, have I tied you in knots? But yeah, I don't care. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, if you don't care, it doesn't matter then. <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah. It's a bit like a nightmare, actually, though. If you read that that spoken word bit, because suddenly it's like now the stage is bare and I'm standing there, like a, like oh god, with emptiness. Like I'm just on stage on my own. What's happened? Terrifying. Yeah, you know, someone said that the world's a stage and each of us must play a part. Fate had me playing in love with you as my sweetheart. Act one was where we met. I loved you at first glance. You read your lines so cleverly and never missed a cue. Then came act two. You seemed to change. You acted strange and why I've never known. Honey, you lied when you said you loved me and I had no cause to doubt you, but I'd rather go on hearing your lies than go on living without you. I don't get the... I can't work out the relationship, though, in this song. That's what I... I struggle with. That's why I'm saying he's saying because well, he's asking in the in this in the singing bits he's saying are you lonesome are you missing me should I come back but then in the spoken bit yeah exactly like, that's what I'm like, saying. He's were saying were you pretending were you just taking me for a ride yeah were you lying you little fibber because he's saying are you are you lonesome tonight do you miss me are you sorry we drifted apart but then he he seems and then but then he says like yeah. You, you're the one who went started acting strange and basically he's the one that's what I'm saying he's the one who's lonesome tonight he's 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 in denial Paul that's what I think it's saying anyway you might not be but that's why I think that there is a bit of a flip there now it's either because it's just not well put together or because that's he's the one who's kind of saying well you well, know it went down a, a storm a bit... on the vaudeville stage in 1927 so yeah well there we go um yeah even the but... line about do the chairs in your parlor seem empty and bare I yeah. often walk in a room and go, well, there's no one sat on any of these chairs. <laughs> these, well, just, these chairs could be occupied by ghosts. They could be. Yeah. Um, that's all right. I've given it 47 for lyrics and 53 overall. Yeah. I mean, Shoot. it's a mega hit. What were we going to say? You know. Yeah. Well, you know, the mega hit. Mr. Blobby was a mega hit. I didn't buy that. <laughs> but, you know, um, right. Okay, let's uh, move on to the next one, which is Petula Clark, Sailor. Sail across the sea, oh, my love is there beside you. In Capri or Amsterdam, Honolulu or Siam, to the Sailor Paul. Well, Pet Clark appearing, Petula Clark. She was born in 1932. She is 91 years old and still with us. Well, good old Petula. And she has been working from a very, very early age. Uh, This gets to number one on the 23rd of February 1961. Spends one week at the top. Produced by Alan A. Freeman, assisted by a chap called Tony Hatch, who would go on to become Petula Clark's main producer. Right. For the sort of more famous part of her pop career. Now, Tony Hatch. Tony he's, Hatch. 
got a lot to do with things, hasn't he? He has got a lot to do with things, and his name will crop up a few times, I'm sure. Yeah. So next time it does, we'll go into it. Okay. Uh, the B-side is a song called My Heart, brackets Amor, which is a very sort of la-la-la-la-la, cha-cha-cha sort of dance ballad thing. Uh, it comes out on the Pi record label. It was a hit. It was a number two hit for a singer called, with a terrible stage name of Lolita in 1960, mm. um, composed by Werner Scharfenberger and Finney Bush and David West, who does the English lyrics. And we'll talk more about who that is in a second. Um, Pet Clark's very famous. Yeah, has this has some huge hits, but just a ludicrously long career. I mean, she starts on the radio during the Second World War as a child actor and performer, and she's in films from 1944, uh, including uh, a role in um, the film I Know Where I'm Going in 1945, which is a brilliant film. And and she has a quite a strange career. The one of the reasons she sort of was able to just carry on was she wasn't just a, a hit maker in the UK, but on the continent as well, particularly France. So she does singles in all these different languages and things like that. So when she's not charting in the UK, she's charting in France or Germany or Francophone uh, sort of language countries and things like that. Um, It's, yeah, it's nuts. She does something very well, you know. She's... Yeah, man- well, she I mean, manages. Evidently, uh, yeah, I hate this song. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's, yeah. okay. Well, let's see. Let's get into it then with the music. So, I do like. I like a country lilt, even if it is about a sailor at sea, which is kind of the opposite of the country, isn't it? Well, talking about it's, opposites, let me say this. Um, originally, it's a German song. This one, right? So, it's popular to adapt these songs from uh, overseas. So, oh, I'm going to try and say this in German. Seaman, deine Heimat ist das Meer. Uh, sailor, your home is the sea. So the lyrics in in German are essentially the opposite. It's going about you belong at sea. You're a sailor. Go away from me. Yeah. To back to sea. <laughs> yeah. I don't want you here. So anymore. I hope I pronounced that all right. I'm sure Dieter will tell us, and or Lorraine, yeah. Lorraine will tell me off as well. Uh, but yeah, this. So like I say, it was a hit, a hit for this Austrian singer called Lolita. Right, um, but in the UK, someone called David West is asked to write an English lyric, and that's actually the producer Norman Newell, who's another name we've mentioned before and we'll mention again, I'm sure. Um, which is great because that means he gets some songwriter publishing credits. Mm-hmm. A version comes out by a singer called Anne Shelton, which gets to number ten in January of 1961, and then Petula Clark's version comes out, and that hits the I top, love how, top spot. Uh, at this time in the world, in the UK, like if people just would put the same song would just come out from a few different people all at once. It's just that that yeah. method of doing it, like you know, well, it's, it's just, like Anne Shelton's the, the Betamax of um, Sailor. Yeah, it's really strange. You just pick and choose, really. It's the song has got like a They're very yeah, competitive between the record labels. It wasn't like we must have unique product. It was like who can most. Yeah, market this, one. this song. It's a bit like the equivalent of how like a, a spec script will have caught people's attention in Hollywood, and all of a sudden you'll have three films about asteroids from different studios happening. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But they just this was literally they'd just have the same song would be floating around, and if if it was up for grabs, they'd be like, right, let's I do our version, I do our version. Anyway, now um, it's it's got that kind of tr- it sound. Obviously, I don't know how 
traditional it was in German, but it's got a traditional sing-along type of thing, harking back perhaps to a previous era. Era, it's got a kind of a feel of a kind of a an older song about it. Um, the chorus is the hook, I think. That so you know, yeah. I'm always on the lookout for what is the hook that makes this a hit. No. I think this is because the chorus is a da 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 da. Everyone join in type thing. Yeah, everyone join in, yeah. Big sing along. I think that's the, that's what makes it a hit. I mean, I theoretically like the big deep backing and close harmonies, but we'll have to talk in production about how it's been recorded because it's a bit much here and there. So we'll mm-hmm. talk about that there. The mouth organ, a sound I generally like, is not really helping this along. It's a bit harsh. Hey, I tell you what, it's played by a guy called Harry Pitch, which is a tricky name <laughs> for someone who's a musician, isn't it? Harry Pitch. <laughs> Yeah, or a footballer. Yeah, um, yeah. But musically, it's simple fare, really. It's a few chords with a big sing-along chorus. It feels like a sit standing around the piano kind of thing. Um, everything is mainly just hammering the chords and triplets into it. Any music is just going, did it? You know, it's just, just hitting the chords. Um, the best bit is the intro. I like the intro. I don't mind her voice, but it's all just a bit too much going on for a lot of it. I've given it 35 for music. Yeah, so the recording features the Peter Knight Orchestra and Chorus. Uh, guitar is played by Vic Flick, who is most famous for doing... Ghostbusters. James Bond, yeah. Yeah, James yeah. Bond. And Big Jim Sullivan's on guitar as well on that. Um, yeah, it's... It's not my uh, cup of tea, really. Yeah, yeah, not for me. Yeah. Production then, so yeah, my ears listening to this. I, I don't know, you know, like the last, you know, I, I gave perhaps some more score to one because it had been mixed into stereo since poetry, you know, poetry emotion and all that. With this one, however, it's survived into the version I listened to. It just feels like sounds like they've thrown everything at it and just turned it all up, and that the echo is all over it and it's all competing in kind of quite a shrill yeah. kind of sound space and it's it's all competing for your ears' attention and it's like ah. Oh, uh, I've got that mouth organ going over the wash of the vocals over her singing over piano. Going, da, 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 da. It's just it's just a bit much for me. Well, for me, it's like you've just described, but as if you're hearing that from two rooms away. Yeah, I've, I've described that, it as yeah. like a high school dance, like the high school hop, um, as heard from two rooms away. Yeah. You know, there's you can tell there's something going on, but it's by the time it reaches your ears, it's sort of bounced off too many walls. Yeah, and, that's comes, it, yeah. and becomes a bit of a mush of reverb and voice and band. So I, you know, I think it would have it could have stood up to a, a lesser production. It's actually one of the first examples we've had so far of something that sounds like early recordings, and I've generally been impressed with how good a lot of the stuff so far has been production-wise, yeah. more than I expected it to. Because to be fair, you know, we're going to get to when the Beatles are doing their first album and like there's stuff that's been better than some of their first stuff because they weren't they were just another band at that point and they hadn't got the resources and some of the studios that some of these songs have had but this is one where it does sound like now this sounds like an early an early recording like say maybe a couple of microphones at the end of a room and she's got one or something i don't know but i've only given it 32 for production because yeah a subtlety subtlety has sailed away with this one paul yeah well i mentioned alan a freeman was a producer at this point um, and then Tony Hatch takes over. Certainly, the songs that she's most famous for are associated with her time with Tony Hatch as the producer, and they sound very different to this. Tony Hatch and Jackie Trent. Am I getting that right? You are getting that right. The people who wrote the Neighbours theme, who is from around my way, this way. Jackie Trent's from Stoke. Well, so, that's nominative, nominative determinism, if any. Exactly. Ever, ever there was. No, she's, she's at least she's from Stoke and Trent. River-based 
nominative determinism. Mm, I feel anyway. like this may have popped up before, and we've t- we've mentioned this, but um, yeah, well, it's, it's popped up in my life a few times. It's one of those doesn't come out very often. Anyway, I just it just came back to my to me that did. Okay. Lyrics then, I mean, it's very simple stuff. Sailor, stop your roaming. Sailor, leave the sea. Sailor, when the tide turns, come home safe to me. As you sail across the sea, all my love is there beside you. Hang on, it doesn't work now anymore. As you sail across the sea, all my love is there beside you. In Capri or Amsterdam, Honolulu, Honolulu or Siam, to the harbour of my heart, I will send my love to guide you. As I call across the sea, come home to me. Not it's, a bad it's, it's translation. It's a fun chorus. It's a fun sing-along yeah. chorus. Um, yeah, but it's it's a pretty hollow. It's very song. small. David West slash Norman Newell have not spent hours on that. No, have they? no. Um, it's um, I like the harbour of my heart, but that's about it. I've given it twenty six for lyrics. It gets thirty. It's a bit like overall. canyons of your mind, to the harbour of my heart. Oh, yeah. The I was trying to think of another one, but I can't. No, don't uh, worry. The salt marshes of your soul. That would the work. Salt marsh, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, so twenty-six for lyrics, thirty-one overall. Let's move on. Bye, Petula. Bye. Oh, Gary, Gary. Um, did, oh. You, did you check in with Mum about Petula Clark? Yeah, she, she doesn't like Petula Clark. That's all we need to know. I that's all I've ever known, really. Is if the Pet- I did kind of ask why. She said just don't, just don't like, don't like how she sings. I know. I've known like this it. all my life that Mum doesn't like Petula Clark, and I find it hilarious because it's just sort of like it's just a plain statement. Just that's it. <laughs> that's yeah, there's it. not much Fair more. Enough. I did. I did ask her about it, but there's, there's there's not much more to add. So there you go. Um, yeah. So next we have. Um, well, we'll explain it when we get there. First, we have "Walk Right Back," the Everly Brothers. Think about the love that burns within. Walk right back, Paul. Uh, I can't. I'm on crutches or a stick at the moment. Still. Uh, of course. Um, mm. If I walk backwards, I'm likely to fall over. Right, the Everly Brothers are back. Hooray! Hooray! And then you turn the single over and you say, the Everly Brothers are back. Boo! Um, Which we should explain, shouldn't we, that the, yes. we're going to finish off the episode now with, with we've got a double A side. Yeah, we've got two songs to do, and they're both by the Everly Brothers. They're both stamped on the same bit of plastic. Because it is a double A side. It's not a case of one side was more popular than the other and became the hit. Both sides are classified as a hit in this instance. Hmm. Uh, although apparently Ebony Eyes was supposedly going to be the A side and Walk right, right Back the B side, but Walk Right Back sort of promotes itself, partly through con- some controversy, I suspect, in this country. Walk Right Back? No. Um, well, Ebony, because Ebony of Ebony Eyes. Eyes. Because of Ebony Eyes, yeah. Yeah. So, the, this becomes number one. This disc becomes number one on the 2nd of March, 1961. It spends three weeks at number one. Yeah. Produced by Wesley Rose, um, their usual producer at this time. Uh, this What Right Bat's written by Sonny Curtis. As I say, the B-side is not a B-side. It's another A-side. It's Ebony Eyes. Mm-hmm. This is on Warner Brothers. Got to number seven in America, Walk Right Back. Hmm. Um. 
the song's written by Sonny Curtis, apparently during his basic training when he was drafted into the American army, he gets a pass out of work, work, well, I suppose if you're in the army it is work, isn't it, for doing well on the firing range, oh. you know, so like, you know, motivation, get, the best person to shoot all these targets gets a, a, a weekend pass or something. Yeah, and he goes and spends some time in Hollywood and bumps into the Everlees and he says oh I've written them this song and they go and he says do you want to do it and they're like oh yeah yeah we'll do that if you write another verse right um, so he's like oh right I'll go off and I'll write one don't worry and by the time he's written this other verse they've recorded it anyway with just one verse oh right um, but okay Sonny Curtis the writer was in the crickets so once Buddy Holly had passed on Hmm. Uh, Sonny Curtis joins the crickets, but he also, he's a writer and he wrote the song I Fought the Law. Oh, right, yeah. For, for the Bobby Fuller Four, which obviously is famous in the version of The Clash as well. But he also released a single under his own name in 1964 called A Beetle I Want to Be. Uh, uh, so uh, I'll we'll share the link. Don't let us forget to share the link to uh, A Beetle I Want to Be. Okay. A novelty cash-in single. Perfect. Which is... As, nut, kind of, as nuts as you want it to be, really. Interesting that that's uh, when we we'll t- when we get to the B side and we talk about cashing singles. Uh, yes, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll have a link there. But anyway, that's who the writer was, Sonny Curtis, right. and this and the situation in which the Everly, Everly Brothers come across this ah. song. Okay, and we've we've talked about the Everly Brothers, and um, we're on to uh, yeah our third Everly Brothers one so far, isn't it? Isn't it? Was our second? That's a second, second, isn't it? Yeah. So this one, the um, well, I'm going to call the A side, but it isn't. I'm, it's, the it's the A side of my heart. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's one of those songs that I, if you just played that riff to me, I'd go, oh yeah, this song, and then I wouldn't have known exactly what the song was. And uh, but because it, I don't know if it's because it feels like it's similar to a lot of things, but it's very, very cool and Is catchy. It? That. that That riff, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it, if this is the the song I've when I hear that riff is what, what my brain's thinking of, or whether there's something that sounds a bit like that elsewhere. Well, it's my yeah. brain goes to this one, but only recently because our our dad has his own little band that he plays in, yeah. and this is one of the songs they play in it. Ah, uh, that might be why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think that's it. Um, but yeah, um, but I, it's one of those riffs that you can imagine once you find found it on the guitar, the kind of song writes itself around it. It kind of leaves the gaps where the melody has to be. You know, you can't sing over that bit, so it kind of again. Pause for words. It all. I like this system, Gary. It's like you're speaking another language. It's a language of it's a language of music. Okay, and it all works together. It's especially nice when the piano joins in after the first repeat. Um, yes, I really like that. The vocal really just kind of tick the song along to it, really. So the riff can do its thing. I and mean, of course, it's the Everly Brothers, so it's close and charming and lovely. Um, but they are just giving like that that jaunty hook. It is jaunty. The the drums yeah. instead of doing a snare bass thing, which most rock is that one, two, three, four thing. Yeah. It's do it's got the boom 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 you know, on the toms. I'm doing it now. 
Yeah. Um, it's like a tom-tom sort of beat, which gives it a lilt rather than a rock rhythm. So yeah. that means that when we hit the chorus where it's like, dan, 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 it's much more stark and obvious. Yeah. It's like, it just gives it the, um, the hook. That's the hook. Yeah, despite the theme of the song, which is completely opposite of the actual sound of the music, this is the music you want when playing when you're walking jauntily down the street on a summer's day and feeling in a particularly good move and mood. A good, a good move. A good move. Having a good move, feeling in a good mood and waving and winking and saluting at people as they kind of walk past and... <laughs> saluting saluting you know a little like haha i can't i'm doing it i'm doing it but no one can see it um but uh, it's uh it's such feel good and fun music Uh, the beat is great the percussion and the little symbols on the offbeats are great i love the simple bouncing bass it is a fab bit of music this i've given it 60 for music Ooh, it's good one i like it it's only small it's Um, it's only small it's only small short bless it um, Production-wise, it's a, a little heavy on the vocal echo is is a bit of an issue with it. Um, but otherwise, the acoustic guitar leads leading on that riff is really nicely captured and played. Yeah, yeah. And um, I especially like the percussion and the piano when it kind of comes up in the mix. It, it, it really... It, it's a nice arrangement, thickens. you know, in terms of what they've done in, in terms of the production. Like, the, like you say, when the piano comes in to sort of enhance the guitar part rhythm mm. and then you get the bass doing a dum 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 which is sort of cross rhythm thing which adds another layer of interest as well yeah um which is great so it's produced by wesley rose who was again an a&r type producer um who keeps his artists doing songs that are owned by acuff rose which is the publishing company he inherits mm. Oh, right. So he's like, well, you're going to do Acuff Rose songs because um, that keeps the publishing rights in our favours. Um, but I'll talk more about him next time we meet the Everly Brothers. Okay. Uh, but he, he he's in the, the next song. <laughs> well, no, not no. No, the next time, time after, after next. this disc. Okay. Um, but yeah, the stereo mix of this is quite nice. The guitars are on either side of the stereo, which makes sense. Um, and we get the voices and fun drums in the middle. Fun drums. Fun drums. <laughs> I like I like me fun drums. Um, the main my main problem with it is it ends so soon after kind of only two minutes. Um, I've given it sixty four for production. Good Thank sound, good song, good sound. Lyrics. Um, I mean, like you say, it's only the one verse and the chorus. Um, kind of very similar to "Are You Lonesome Tonight?" In some ways, well, it's really. got the word "lonesome" in there as well. You know, it says the word "lonesome," and it's also. It is. This is the thing about it. It's like if the song is like da 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 da. It's like I'm really terribly miserable. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a terrible time. Ooh, you know. I made but, that up just then. And it's got that kind of like really ineffective kind of walk right back to me. <laughs> like it's like I'm putting yeah, my actually, foot down. Yeah, actually, to be honest, when the, when when the Tempo changes to walk right back. It is a bit like someone stamping their feet, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's like they stamp their feet, but it's ineffective because it, 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 they're having a little tantrum. It's, it's she's gone, mate. She's gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like walk right back. Bring to your me. bring your love to me. Don't send it. Yeah, that, that don't Which send like, it lines. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. I mean, I presume it means something like don't just write me a letter. Come here, you. Yeah, it, it's. I like. I'm. I'm a particularly a fan of songs that. Um, sound really chirpy but have sad lyrics or vice versa i like doing it. i've done that a couple of times myself i, I it's, it's fun because 
it's it's a nice juxtaposition. I like that, but it doesn't. It passes um, passes the ear test as far as it. it they're not amazing. That there's not much to them. But I've given them forty one for lyrics, which gives the song fifty five all together. Okay. Before we get onto the other side of this piece of plastic, yes, uh, from Disc Magazine, eighteenth of March, nineteen sixty one. There's an article about people getting silver discs awarded. Mm. Uh, there's a picture of the Everleys. It says, To the Everly brothers goes yet another silver disc. This is their third and is for Walk Right Back, which was originally intended to be the flip side to Ebony Eyes, but became the winning side. Now, that's the funny thing. In, if you look at the official charts, it's listed as both sides, which is why we're going to talk about the next song as well. Yes. So let's move on to that poll, which is finally the Everly brothers again and Ebony Eyes. And then came the announcement over the loudspeaker. Would those having relatives or friends on flight number 1203 please report to the chapel across the street at once? Then I felt a burning break deep inside, and I knew the heavenly, ebony skies had taken. Ebony eyes, Paul. Right, I've got blue eyes. Um, yeah, written by John. I mean, everything else is the same except this is a song written by a guy called John D. Loudermilk, who was a singer-songwriter. <laughs> Sorry, Loudermilk. Loudermilk. Yeah, it's a name. That's a name. It's just, it just implies that there's also quieter milk. And... It does, yeah. Um, yeah, louder no, milk's sorry. a lot cheaper, but you just you never get to sleep because of this <laughs> screaming coming from I'm your just, fridge. Do you, do you want? Do you want milk or tea? Yeah, okay. <laughs> or maybe it was a category before they went like skimmed, semi-skimmed, full fat. What time would you like your milk? I'd like my milk louder, please. Um, How would you like your milk louder? How would you like your milk? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, yeah, I don't think you've had the gin and tonic I've just had, but that's no, uh, no, I'm me as very a glass of a glass of red wine. <laughs> after this. Oh, oh no, yeah, this is turning into an episode of Blotto Beetles. No. Um, well, we'd, we'd, I was going to say we should we should do that one day, but that's a terrible idea. Well, no, <laughs> because Blotto Beetles podcast they does do, it already. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, people don't need to listen to us uh, any worse than this. Especially yeah. not talking about a song like this. So, yeah, John yes. D. Loudermilk, singer-songwriter. He's not a particularly successful artist himself, although he does put out a few singles. Um, and I could go into some of the songs he's written that were sort of hits for so-and-so and so-and-so. Um, but I want to mention that he appears as a performer, I believe, on the disc called Satellite Fever Asiatic Flu by a guy called Paul Perryman under the pseudonym Ebba Sneezer. <laughs> Okay. Yep. Ebba Sneezer louder milk. Yeah, well, just Ebba Sneezer. Like, Ebba's the first name. Yeah. Like, Ebenezer, but Ebba Sneezer for this Ebenezer. sort of novelty record. It was like, I've got the satellite fever and the Asiatic flu. It's like, right. It's just interesting. Yeah, a bit weird. Anyway, talking about songs that have um, spoken. Song. Well, yeah. It, well, no, it definitely is. Definitely is. Um, but yeah, talking about songs that have spoken word segments in it, like Are You Lonesome Tonight? Oh, I mean, if anything right. makes Are You Lonesome Tonight seem like an absolute masterwork, 
It is this horror show. It is this horror show, Paul, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because I'm, I'm disappointed by it. Because well, I'm do really you remember? Enjoying... <laughs> Sorry, Gary. Do you remember when I was talking about the complaints in the newspapers about the death discs? Yeah, I'm starting to understand them now. Second of February, 1961, Daily Mirror. Uh, oh, brother, not another. Um, tell Laura the Everly brothers are at it now just when I thought that this death disc lark had been decently buried along they come with another one title Ebony Eyes on the Warner Brothers label Miss Ebony Eyes so they tell us in song and monologue is a bride-to-be flying toward her soldier boy yep it happens the plane goes down and Miss Ebony Eyes it turns out is an angel to be instead and then the next little subhead headline is why (laughs) Um, beats me (laughs) Beats me why the Everly brothers have to go into the spinning pall-bearing business. They make brilliant records. The other side of this doomy disc is a lively tune called Walk Right Back. It's a corker. But the A, or more important side, is, I am told, the sad one. No doubt it will be a hit, unhappily. So, it's uh, Patrick Doncaster in the mirror is not a fan of these discs. Well, I'm, I'm with him. I mean, I didn't know this one. It's much slower and less interesting um i in some in most ways until that second verse and oh god it's a death disc again type of uh but i mean jeez when the when the everly brothers actually stop singing which is always a bad move when you're really good singers yeah uh, when you're and, two of the best singers of the period yeah. and you decide to just have one of you talking and then they 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 bring the music right down to like one on the slider and it goes already thin and quiet and then his voice, as beautiful as it is as a singing voice, is a little bit, a little bit weedy when he's doing his talking bit. And what? So musically, so right? Musically, what I think they've done here is they basically. I mean, this is probably not the case, but maybe it was just in the air. It's a waltz, so it's a bit like yeah. "Are You Lonesome Tonight." Yeah, it's very lonesome tonight. But it's also, so their musical arrangement, though, is also slightly uh, Neapolitan, a bit like It's Now or Never. It's yeah, got the sort but of then t- they've got the death sort of thing, but it's a dick, death, a dick, death, sorry. Yeah, it's a death disc. Maybe that's why the people don't call them death discs. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's most of those death discs are sort of funny little stories in and of themselves playlets and like teenage angst and romeo and juliet and all this sort of stuff but this is like i'm in the army and i get a special compensation to get my girl to come on a plane and then there's some admin and you know bureaucracy of uh, whatever it is it's it's so weirdly super conservative and yeah it's very strange it's i, I just i don't like death discs that feel forced and I especially don't like them with the spoken verse being all sad. The music's boring anyway. It would have been kind of like a folk song. It wouldn't have been a hit folk song if it had been about anything else. It's, they sing it nice. It would have been an albumy kind of song that you would have just gone, yeah, all right. But it's it's just a slow ballad with a basic arpeggio and block harmonies in the backing and not much of a melody in the leads. And it's all about like, oh, people are doing these death discs. Let's do one. That's what it sounds like to me. And their their version is kind of like, hey, excuse me, have you seen my wife's flight? <laughs> oh no no, it's probably up there in the sky somewhere. Uh, okay, <laughs> what's, what's what's all that about? Yeah. And then the tenor said, oh no, the flight didn't make it. 
Oh, I'm sad now. And then we're in the church and everybody's sad. Oh, man, what a bore off. I've given it 33 for music. Um, I mean, because they, they're nice singers and stuff, but it's I don't like it. No, it's not. It's not good. And also, it's slightly tasteless in the fact that they're it part of that generation of... Off the everyone back died. of like what happened with Buddy Holly and everyone in, yeah, the, in yeah. the plane crash, it's it's. I don't it's just like a the weird thing. It's not a tribute. It's just it's just. Ugh. It feels phony. That's the thing. The word phony is very apt in this instance. It's hard enough and sad enough when people write genuinely about something that's made them sad, especially if it's if it's grief. So doing it for a kind of a making it up just seems wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the more I hear of them, the more I think. What was this trend? I said, I was asking mum about it. I, I won't put it on, but I said, what, what was this trend about? And she doesn't get it either. It just was a bit of a trend that people were like, maybe it's because it it did, um, it, it, it played to some catharsis that people weren't getting from other, anywhere else maybe. Well, maybe to everyone. quote um, Brian Godfrey, who lived at 10 Field Lane Flats, Litherland, Liverpool 21, in Disc okay. Postbag, 11th of March, 1961, Surely there's no need to bring the subject of death into pop records. The new Everly Brothers disc is a morbid example, but the flip side of Ebony Eyes, Walk Right Back, proves that the Everlys are capable of doing better. Yeah, they just didn't need to do this. Or it could have just been the simple B. If they wanted to do it, it could have been the B-side, but then why why do it at all? Anyway, production. I I don't like the way they they take the Everly Brothers singing out of it and it all goes quiet and and sparse. It's a daft decision to take such good singers away and have half the song spoken. Obviously by by just one of two By people. one of them with his yeah. thin little voice. It would have been funny if they'd tried to get them to do it, like the spoken word bit, but two of them together. <laughs> I think they should have done it much more. Because uh, they should have done it much more kind of comedy voices. They may have run into some turbulent weather and had to alter the course, sir. <laughs> they should have just had a laugh with it. They should have made it, a, 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 if they'd done it as a parody death disc, it would have been fine. Well, the review of it in in Disc Magazine in February 1961 ends with the phrase, Walk Right Back is a lonesome romancer which sounds positively hilarious by contrast. Yeah. Um, I've given it... um, It's not terrible. I don't like the superness of it when it's all in the mix and the extreme fade in... um, The the extreme fade in the spoken bit isn't good. Yeah, and it shifts around in the stereo spectrum as well and really badly. Yeah. 46 for production. Uh, I think you've done the lyrics. Yeah, it feels like you've covered the lyrics here. Yeah, we've talked about the lyrics. I mean, it's just so flipping miserable. Uh, Yeah, and and anyway, it wasn't the ebony skies that claimed his ebony eyes. It was most likely the brown ground. Um, So, yeah, uh, all I've got to decide is whether I take score this more or less than Tell Laura I Love Her. (laughs) Tell Laura I Love Her is a better song. Yeah. I've given this, I can't remember which way around I did it, but I've given it 25 for lyrics, so it gets 35 overall. Interesting. So that's a, that's made a bit of a strange thing happen to our figures because you're including both sides of this because it's a double A. Um, yeah, so what, what I'm doing is I'm putting... The, I'm, the, I'm, this will have to go down one. as disc number something A and something B, even though it's both A sides, but it's the same the, number. I'm scoring songs, not discs. So ah, there is an entry for each song in, in the chart. They are independent of each other because it would be ridiculous. Well, they're not. They're at th- what, number one at the same time. It's just... I know, but I'm not 
bothered about that. Okay, I'm scoring. I'm scoring songs, not discs. So when we get double A sides, they're going to be there's going to be two entries because I'm. It'd be ridiculous to average out, walk right back, with to drag it down to Ebony Eyes level as a song because I'm interested in a song. If I was doing a playlist, I wouldn't put Ebony Eyes on because I've got. I wouldn't because I, I want walk right back back on there. Or I just play walk right back. So I've scored them independently of each other, like I just have, and they're going in the yep, chart independently of each other. That is the rules from now on. Them just the rules, right? So let's do a top. Well, I'll tell you which ones didn't go into even the top twenty, or or would have just about got there. Um, and that is, yeah, I'm just going to do the top ten. So these two from this episode didn't get in, and that is Ebony Eyes, mm-hmm. which came out at number nineteen so far, and Sailor by Petula Clark, which came out at number twenty one. So. So we hear the top 10? Because everything do. else has gone into the top 10. Wowzers. Right. At number 10, Three Steps to Heaven, Eddie Cochran. At number 9, Starry-Eyed, Michael Holiday. At number 8, Poetry in Motion, Johnny Tillotson. At number 7, Are You Lonesome Tonight, Elvis Presley. At number 6, It's Now or Never, Elvis Presley. At number 5, Walk Right Back, The Everly Brothers. At number 4, Kathy's Clown, The Everly Brothers. At number 3, Roy Orbison, Only the Lonely. At number two, Shaking All Over, Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. And at number one, Apache, The Shadows. Hmm, okay. Mm. You get this strange thing where, when it's not subjective, whereby, because it's not as subjective, because I've not spent as much time with these songs at all. Well, they're just the, 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 um, uh, the legacy of a song like um, It's Now or Never, or... Are you lonesome tonight? Means it's high up there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose you're it's sort undeniably of... a big song and well made, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean I'd really want it up there. But it is there. Yeah, it's sort of the sort of a little, you know, a sprinkling of con of history happening to your scores, isn't there? That you're yes. that's sort of happening unbidden to to what you uh, to what you're yeah. scoring. I'd have to kind of like have my mind wiped and not know who Elvis was or have any context from you to kind of really do it. But it doesn't matter. It's given us a chance to talk about it. And talk about it, we have. So I think it's time to go. (laughs) And we will see you next week for the next bit of 1961. A goodbye. Yes, don't be lonesome tonight, everyone. Bye.